0: The Florida Gators fall to the Florida State Seminoles for the second year in a row. Tonight we recap the game and talk about the pivotal offseason ahead for the Billy Napier era. This is the In All Kinds Weather forecast. Welcome in to another episode of the In All Kinds Weather Forecast. I am your host, Chris Haynes, alongside my two co hosts tonight, Neil Shulman and Dustin Smith. Here in the heart of Gator Nation, today is November 26, 2023, and we are now one day removed from another tough rivalry loss in the billionaire era and another tough loss to Florida State. As they now finish undefeated 12-0, one game away from likely playing for the college football playoff, and the Gators fall to 5-7, and seven, ensuring the third consecutive losing season for the first time since the 19th. 40s. We have hit a new low in the Napier era and a new low in the modern era of gator football. Certainly, guys, not how we wanted to end the season, especially after starting five and two. The Gators looked poised to at least exceed the Vegas line total of five and a half set at the beginning of the season. They did not reach it. They end on a five-game losing streak. And this game, of course, got off to A really good start for Florida. Florida was able to get an early lead, actually lead 10-0. They led 12-0 after a safety, and then that's where everything went to hell. Florida decided to do a trick play that backfired mightily and cost the Gators what could have been the knockout blow. And the Gators then, from that point on, were not able to recover. Florida State took the lead out of halftime. Florida was able to regain it for a moment, but then Florida State got it back, didn't relinquish it, ran out the clock. Florida, in the fourth quarter of this game, had negative 15 offensive yards. That is not a typo. That is not a miscue. Negative 15 yards. In fact, Florida had more yards of penalties in the fourth quarter Then they did actual yardage. They finished the fourth quarter with 50 yards of penalties, negative 15 of total offensive yards. So, guys, this was not what we hoped for. This is not how we wanted to end the season. I want to get your initial reaction, Neil and Dustin, of what you think of this one. Uh, There's going to be a lot to talk about tonight
1: it's not what we hope for. That's, that's what you said. It's exactly what we knew was coming, Chris. It's certainly on my end, but I don't think I was the only one. I mean, let's, let's just go back. Remember um, Dustin, you can, you can cue this up whenever you want, but there, there was a clip that went on on social media of me laughing at the idea of Florida winning this game. And my opening reaction is to this game. Isn't, really any different than my final pregame thoughts I made this bet with you Chris with all of Gator Nation I said you know what I know Florida's not going to win and you know what I'm so confident in saying that I will jump into the St. John River if we beat FSU which you then changed Chris to do a cold plunge in the in the Atlantic Ocean right off the coast of South Carolina and I just for everyone's knowledge I despise the idea of being cold like I'd rather it be 110 than 10 degrees it's why I moved down from New Jersey to South Carolina Like, I can't stand the idea of being cold. So when you added the extra layer of me being cold in the mix internally, I was like, no, Neil, don't do it. Don't do it. Don't agree to this. And then I remembered, dude, it's 2023 Florida. You're fine. You're fine. Go ahead. Go ahead. Put this unfazed look on your face. Don't act like it's throwing you for a loop. Don't act like you're nervous. Don't act like you have second thoughts. Just say, fine. Just say, okay, sure, let's do it. Because you know you're not going to have to do it. You know exactly what's going to happen. And I'm not even looking for credit here for being a know-it-all. I'm not a soothsayer. I'm not a psychic. I don't have a crystal ball. I've simply watched the 2023 Florida Gator football team. That's it. That is my qualification for being so certain. I mean, when I said Florida had a 5% chance to win this game, I could have just as easily said, 1/100th of 1% because deep down I knew exactly what was going to happen before it happened. And again, it's not just me. I think whether we wanted to admit this or not, maybe it's not the tone you want to take when you're striking up conversations with Gator friends. It's definitely not the the typical, yeah, game day, let's go, go Gators type of attitude, but deep down we all knew what was going to happen. We all knew the loss was coming. As I said, I don't know what form it's going to take. I don't know if the defense will give up 700 yards of total offense. I don't know if Max Brown will throw multiple pick sixes. I don't know if Napier will coach his team out of a victory when it appears that they were on their way to earning a victory. But as sure as that sun will come up tomorrow, Florida will fight. There will be a close contest and they will do something in some fashion to blow it. Guess what? That's exactly what happened. And yeah, guess you, what else now Napier is 11 and 14 and the state of the program is very much up in the air. You did call it that you did say that Florida would fight in this game, make it a close
0: game until the very end about the fourth quarter. So it did play out exactly how you said, it. I think the difference in our score predictions is I said, 38, 34, Florida. Dustin had 31, 30, Florida. You had 38, 27, Florida state. I think we expected more offense in this game. I think we were a little bit shocked that actually the defense played the way they did. And Florida with that, the defense is what kept them in this game. We were just hoping for one more offensive touchdown. I think, if Florida had gone up 90-0 in this game, it would have been eerily similar to the way the Tennessee game was playing out, whereas Florida goes up by three scores and it becomes insurmountable for a team, especially with a backup quarterback on the road. I don't think Florida State would have come back from that. But, Dustin, I want to get your thoughts coming in here of what you, your initial reaction is to the victory for Florida State and another rivalry loss for the Gators.
2: Yeah, it's certainly disappointing. And, Neil, I completely understand where you're coming from when it comes to the numbers, it's really hard to look at any rivalry game and attribute 5% to one team and 95% to the other. That's generally a number that is ascribed to when a juggernaut plays a cupcake. Um, but I, I understand where you're coming from. In terms of this game, it really came down to two plays. Number one, it, it all started with with that first missed field goal. We had an opportunity – to really gain some momentum there. And we missed the field goal. And for as much credit as we've given smack throughout the season, we've seen over and over and over again, special teams find a way to mess up momentum during the game. And then obviously we're going to keep talking about it. And there's certainly a lot of undisciplined stuff that we'll, we'll talk about later in the podcast, but that play call where we had the opportunity to to go up 19 nothing and we decided to put it in the backfield atrocious i, I we'll, we'll break it down a little more but the 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 former quarterback in me who 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 played on a successful team we won the district championship we beat one of the best teams in the state of Florida our big thing was we had a weak offensive line our offensive line was was trash. We had some guys that played with heart, but we were not skilled there. So we had to make up for it in other ways. We ran the spread offense and we found ways to get the ball into the hands of our playmakers quickly. We had a a two seconds, catch, flip, throw. If the ball wasn't out in two seconds, then either the quarterback had to throw it out of bounds or run because that's all you had against the defenses that we were playing. And for us to put it in the backfield like that, atrocious.
1: You mean it's not a good idea to run multiple laterals when your offensive line already can't block to begin with. So you ask them to do it for like five times the length of time that they're initially capable of doing. I mean, that's not a good idea. Dustin, the former quarterbacks, you could have fooled me.
2: Question. Neil. I, uh, I don't think you were a math major in college. So I hope this isn't too complex for, for you. Uh, I I say that in jest. You're a smart guy. Uh, Was it more than two seconds with the ball in the backfield?
1: Yes.
2: (laughs) Exactly. Two seconds. Get the ball out to your playmakers. You have two seconds to do it. It's not rocket science. You go through the tape all season. When we did that, less than two seconds, catch, flip, boom. We did pretty good. But the moment that you rely on a weak offensive line, the moment that you rely on really the weakness of the team, you're you're in for a rude awakening,
1: especially
2: it, it, against a defensive line like that.
1: This, this is going to be very uncool to say, but I don't care. We're past the point in time where feelings get hurt matters. So here, I'm just going to say it. This is something Dan Mullen was really good at. He was really, really good at calling an offense when his offensive line wasn't very good. Like 2018, that Mississippi State game where all we really did were screens and flares. Just throwing it out there. Dan Mullen was was better at this and game he's theory we fired. And and certainly we'll no talk about what, what the impact
0: of an offensive coordinator, a new play caller could mean for Philly Napier, but certainly when you're calling plays like that, you're putting your team in a worse situation than they already are in. We've we're 12 games into the season and for that point for Napier to call a play like that, it's just absolutely unforgivable and egregious. Every time he's called a trick play this year, it's failed. Can anybody think of one trick play that actually worked this year? The fourth and one against Georgia. The the, the pass against Vanderbilt, right? That was intercepted. I mean, then you had this one. I, I don't know if I'm missing another one, but that's at least three trick plays that I can think of that Napier has tried and they ever all of them have failed. And I'm not saying that trick plays don't have their place in the game, but I would argue that a trick play should only happen in a situation where you really need to switch the momentum of a game. At that point, you you've got all the momentum in the game. Like the I mean, we all were there last night. Our voices are a little hoarse today for a reason. Like the crowd was in the game. We had Florida State on the ropes. And it's funny, I, I turned to my wife during the game and I said to her, do you remember that scene in Swamp Kings in the locker room at halftime to bring up Dan Mullen and Dan Mullen's talking to his team and he says, you got him on the ropes, you got them on the ropes. Now knock them down and knock them the you know what out and you keep swinging until they're out. At that point in the game, Florida had a chance to knock Florida State on the ground, punch them in the mouth and knock them out. And that play right there, to me, is is like basically just like going in swinging like aimlessly at your opponent when you've got them wobbling. Just run the ball, run the damn ball! Oh, play Montreal Johnson had over a hundred yards in this game. He had over seven yards a pop. We were running with efficiency. Run the ball. We probably win that game in that situation. This is
1: the and thing we- you you say swinging aimlessly, Chris. This is the, this isn't swinging endlessly. You know what, Dustin, I'm I'm going to bring this back bring this back 2021 Kentucky post game pod. When it was just you and I, it was just the two of us. And I said at the end of the first half, when Dan Mullen just let the clock run out, I said, look, we're, we're not conspiracy people. We know that Dan Mullen is not throwing the game, but let me ask you this. If he was, would it have looked any different than what he did? I don't believe Billy Napier is throwing the game. That's ridiculous. We're not going to entertain it, but I will say this. If he was trying to throw the game, would it have looked any different than what he did? Could he have possibly called a stupider play than that? Again, your offensive line is terrible. It can't block for shit to begin with on normal plays, right? So let's go ahead and ask them to block for three or four times longer of a period of time than they are already not blocking for. And let's throw two laterals and have receivers try to get open while the line blocks for about, I mean, you figure if you if you execute it all cleanly, right? If you have the snap, the first lateral, the reverse, it's all executed cleanly. There's no bobble. There's no misdirection. They're all accurate, whatever. You figure that's going to be about four five, maybe six seconds. And then the quarterback first starts to scan the field because he doesn't have the ball, right? He needs to get the ball to start going through all his progressions. So, again, your offensive line can't block for three seconds. So let's have them blocked for three times. Let's have them block for nine seconds. Could you have possibly done something any more brainless than that? I think the answer is no. Like, should you have punted the ball on first and 10? Should you have taken a knee? No, that's ridiculous. But that's actually less stupid than what you did. That is less dumb than what you actually wound up doing.
2: Yeah. Well, guys, it's it's buffoonery. Now, look, y'all, y'all know me. I love Napier. I think he's a great guy, great person. We he's all love injected. Some, we all love Napier. some good things into the program, but there needs to be some accountability. Because here's the thing: trick plays are not always bad, and there's certain trick plays. I'm not going to go through what trick plays may have worked in that situation but that was not the trick play to work i mean you look at the tape you look at the strength of fsu's defense they have great pass rushers they have great end men on the the the, end, the the sam which is the strong side linebacker and the buck which is the uh the defensive end on the on the weak side those guys are excellent excellent defenders some of the best in the country i wouldn't be surprised if at least one of them is an All-American, right? And if not, we made them look like All-Americans with how terrible our own mind was. I digress. You don't run that play because what you do when you have a lateral, you bring the defense to that side of the field. And when those guys are free, you, you keep wasting time in the backfield. You're not going to get out of the backfield. If you want to run a trick play, you got to run something that gets it Away from the defense, you're running right into the teeth of the defense.
0: Well, and and Dustin, I think the big thing is in that situation, we needed to get the ball to our playmakers. And on the subject of our playmakers, Eugene Wilson, three touches. Unacceptable. Ricky Pearsall, unacceptable. Ricky Pearsall, senior night, last game ever as a Gator. He's 52 yards away from breaking a thousand yards. One catch.
1: One target, uh, I believe. Maybe, one target. Maybe there was catch. a second. There might have been a second target, but the ball even still so far away. 17
0: yards for the guy with almost 1,000 yards. He was on track to be the first 1,000-yard receiver in 21 years. The wait will continue at the University of Florida. It is astounding that we cannot break that barrier in the receiving room. But it's unacceptable in a situation where any of those guys would have been better to get the ball to in that situation. Trevor Etienne, who had a lights-out performance against LSU and Missouri in consecutive weeks, 10 carries. 10 carries. Unacceptable. In you fairness, he was playing hurt. Let's let's be fair about that. That's fair, but if he's going to play, get him the ball. I mean, I, this is the last game of the season. you got bowl eligibility on the line. You know, you've got to you've got to get the ball in his hands more. And especially if you're talking about the screen game, the flare game, he is the best pass catcher out of the backfield. He would have been the perfect guy to get involved in that situation. So we did not get it done. Montrell Johnson, like I mentioned though, was the star of the night. 18 carries, 107 yards, six a pop. He did have a touchdown on the on a run that. You know, it looked like he he went untouched similar to the way Etienne went untouched in that Missouri game. So a very good run play design there. Max Brown got off to a decent start, but very much struggled in this game. And a lot of that had to do with the fact that his offensive line could not protect him. He was 9 of 16, 86 yards. He threw an interception on the final offensive snap of the season when the game was on the line. And, you know, guys, it, it's just a shame. I think the offense who we, we talked about it going in this game gave us some confidence that they could do well. Max Brown moved the ball efficiently against Missouri. This Florida State defense was definitely, uh, I think, a little bit more talented than the one he faced last week in Columbia. As Dustin mentioned, those ends that Florida State has, Jared Verse is likely a future first-round draft pick in April this coming year. So he was facing something a little bit more of an uphill battle than he had in other games this year. But, you know, guys, I think it's it's a shame that the season – went this way because if we remember go back to the podcast going into the Georgia game, it it felt like there was a breath of fresh air in the program, right? Like we escaped the whole, like, okay, we, we, we finally got the monkey off our back. We won a road game. We're five and two. Surely we're going to get one more win out of the remaining games left on the schedule. And we knew that the back half was difficult. That is why we said going into the season, we needed to stack wins it appears we did not stack enough wins, but, you know, I guess just in this game in general, is there anything outside of what the, uh, we talked to, I think a lot, well, it's the offense here, but is there anything the defense could have done differently in this game? Or do you think this was one of the better performances or maybe the best performance the defense turned in this season?
1: I mean, I don't know what else you want them to do. Uh, granted, it's a backup quarterback; it's not Jordan Travis. But I mean, you hold them to minus yardage in the first quarter, your offense has to step up and and take it from there. Like you, and and again, we're gonna beat the dead horse of the of the stupid play call. But you have a chance to knock them out. You gotta do it. You, I mean, they still have Benson. They still have Keon Coleman. They still have Johnny Wilson. There's still a lot of talent on that offense, you know you're not going to keep them down forever. If you're going to sit there at halftime or or late in the the second quarter with a 12-0 lead and try to protect it and go, yeah, you know what, we're up two scores. That should be enough. No, dude, it's not. You know they're going to move the ball eventually. You know that Tate Rodemacher is going to make things happen through the air. Your defense has been awful the last month of the year. You know that eventually the dam is going to break. And look, there were... There were good things from the defense. I loved what I saw from Cam Jackson. By the way, shout out to him on his senior night. That was an excellent performance. He broke up a pass. He was as as much of a dominating presence in the in the front of the line that you could really have ever hoped there to be this season. After we saw the first you know couple months of the year, um, I mean the secondary was was bad, but it wasn't. You know, it, it didn't completely lose the game for us either. And the linebackers. You know, again, minus Shamar James, it is what it is, but they weren't terrible by any stretch of the imagination. They weren't awful. Again, this one is on the offense. This one is specifically on the guy who coaches the offense, who oversees the offense with his play calls. But the defense, I mean, I'm not going to get too far ahead of myself. We'll, we'll talk about it more with the grades, but the defense played well enough to win this game for sure. Well,
2: certainly deal. Yeah. But something that has to be talked about is the undisciplined, unforced errors on. Well, defense. that's a different.
1: So, yes. That stupidity is a different debate. I'm talking about just, just the X's and O's of on the field. Are you going to talk about some guy being so stupid he decides to just spit at his opponent? That's a different topic of conversation. But as far as the actual play on the field between the white lines, between the whistles goes, the, the defense played well enough to win.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I, c- I mean, you well, I could. You can look all over the field, but I mean, there was a couple plays where it looked like Jalen Kimber decided to take the playoff. and that I mean, I'm just calling out one guy, but there it we're still we're obviously game twelve has happened. We're done with the season. We're still having guys that are out of position that, especially on the secondary and the back end, that are not making tackles. I thought our front seven played outstanding to your point, Neil, to your point, Chris. But on the back end, we gotta we gotta figure out something in the offseason that y- you gotta you gotta play to the whistle.
1: And that's all fair. That's all fair. But again, we knew that. We saw this defense against Missouri. We saw them give up enough yards to form a new continent against LSU. Literally the worst performance in school history. We've seen Jalen Kimber be out of position all year long. We've seen them miss tackles all year long. You have what you have. The portal, the recruiting, the Whatever else you want to say about fixing it in the offseason, yeah, we have to do it, but that's an offseason problem. As far as what we have going up against the Florida State Seminoles in this one game on this one night, the defense did as well as you possibly could have given the obvious limitations that we've seen them show us all year.
0: Yeah, well, and, you know, the defense, I think that they did play their best game, one of their best games, this season. I would say this one in the Tennessee game. And I think it's a performance that at the very least sort of vindicates uh, Austin Armstrong as a defensive coordinator. I know a lot of fans after the performances against LSU and Missouri, some called into question whether or not he should remain. I definitely think next year, with a lot of the guys coming back, Cam Jackson has additional eligibility coming back. You guys have Desmond Watson, who I thought played a very good game, coming back, Chris McClellan coming back. You're going to have an infusion of talent uh, from the defensive side on the, in the high school ranks, and hopefully the portal come through. I do think when you look at this team, though, defensively, the weakness, in my mind, outside of the linebacker, we've talked about that a nauseum, But the secondary leaves a lot to be desired. And, you know, if you really look at that secondary room that's currently starting, I I don't I think there's only probably about one guy that I would want back in next year. And that's Jordan Castell and Bryce Thornton uh, starting and rotating. Jim Jackson. Jaquem, yeah, but he's not starting yet. I think that's a guy that okay, you probably starters. want to elevate. Sure. I'm talking the starters sure. back Thank there right now. I know Thornton has kind of come in and out of starting at safety, but those are really the only ones that I've seen I think that have potential. They grade out at pro football focus as so some of the higher guys on the team. Outside of that, really just haven't been uh, that good. I do think Devin Moore next year has to be the starting corner, but he also – that also He has to stay healthy. Like once again in this game, he makes a great play and he gets hurt. And you're only as good as how available you are sometimes. And he has just not been available enough for this team. But when he has started at corner, the secondary has looked more competent. And it did last night. And he shut down Keon Coleman. Keon Coleman was not a factor in this game. He only had one catch For 24 yards and I know that he was doing it with a backup quarterback but still that is the best playmaker on that team one of the most electric playmakers in the country we saw the punt return that he did in that game that flipped the field and gave Florida State the go-ahead score in the game so Devin Moore Jordan Castell maybe Bryce Thornton but we're gonna have to hit the portal and we're gonna have to rely on young guys next year to win to win us games in the secondary so In a year where it's very pivotal that Florida shows a huge progression on the defensive side of the ball, it's a little scary
1: to think about. Oh, Chris, isn't that something that we've been saying on this podcast about this year? Well, it's a young team. Well, they're learning. They're getting reps. Does that not sound a little frighteningly familiar? The difference is next year there's not going to be any patience for that. Nope. So the entire, essentially the entire Napier tenure, and maybe I'm getting ahead of myself a little bit, but just think about that. The setup is Napier's entire future. And really you want to go big, 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 big picture. The entire UF administration's future is hinging on whether or not this new batch of young players produces on the football field for the Florida Gators. Yep. Absolutely. Well, we're going to get into, we're going to, we're going
0: to finish up. We're going to do a little differently tonight. We're going to do our final recap. Now we're going to give our grades of this game because we want to use the second half of the episode tonight to get into sort of an overall season recap, talk about Napier and talk about the off season ahead and what 2024 is going to mean for this program. So guys, let's go ahead and get into the final verdict here grades for the Florida state game. Offense, defense, special teams, and coaching, I have a feeling these aren't going to be very high grades overall. We'll start with Dustin here.
2: So, guys, for offense, it's pretty pretty terrible. And and the, this grade heavily coincides with the grade for the coaching staff on the offensive side of the ball. I thought that Max Brown played with a lot of heart. Montrell played excellent. But you can't give anything higher than an F for offense. It cost us the game. And it, honestly, probably the worst offensive performance of the season, um, other than maybe that performance against Utah uh, at the beginning of the year. But this is worse because you should be better by this point in time.
1: Wait a minute. So, Dustin, is this going to be like that F, or is it going to be like the respectable, like maybe you can survive the, the course if you do well on your next test kind
2: of F? It it probably be certainly in the, in the in the deep F category probably around a twenty five percent. Okay, you probably still need to retake the class. You're 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 certainly not getting into the next uh, the next element of the. You're not getting. You're not going bowling. <laughs> Anyhow, so defense defense played good enough to win, but it wasn't enough. I got to give the defense a B minus. Did they play exceptional during parts of the game? Absolutely. Albeit, Florida State was playing with the backup quarterback. They had injuries on um, on in other in other in other parts of the of of their offense. But yeah, B B minus for the for the defense. Special teams D missing two field goals. Uh, By the end of the game, it wasn't what cost us, but. If we're up when if, if we're up when it comes down to the end of the game maybe our defense plays different maybe we don't give up that touchdown and and, and hold on to win the game coaching F and and Neil you, you asked about that F the coaching I'm gonna have to give him like a five or seven percent I thought Armstrong played great but he's only one man the rest of the the rest of the coaching staff. There there needs to be some serious changes that take place. As far as a percentage on the game, I'm gonna have to go with 29%. Yeah,
1: I mean Chris, I'm I'm not gonna be the lowest. Wow. Oh, okay. Um offense is going to get an F, but they they were semi-respectable, maybe a couple questions. Go differently. you Answer them right. It makes or breaks it. You could have passed it. So go ahead and, and stay enrolled in the course. You might be able to salvage it later on type of F like a 55 out of 100 type of F the offensive line itself. If we're going position by position, you get a big fat. Goose egg, zero. You could not possibly have played any worse. I do understand. I do sympathize with the fact that Austin Barber was out. I do understand. I do appreciate the fact that it would have done better with him in the game. Also Kingsley, you know, if you have those two guys at full health, maybe it's very different, it probably is, but you know, the line is it was zero. Um <sighs> Defense is going to get a B minus. I think that's also what Dustin gave. The defense was fine. I think it was a situation – very similar to the 2015 game against FSU, where it's under the lights, you're hyped up, you're playing well for three quarters, but then the dam just breaks in the fourth quarter. You just can't keep it going for the full 60. So you fall apart in the end, but that doesn't take away from the first three quarters where you played really well. Um, Chris, as you mentioned a minute ago, shutting down Keon Coleman, who, yes, there is a backup QB in the game, but that's still a massive weapon that FSU had at its disposal. And you you shut him down for the most part. Uh, special teams, F. I mean, you got to make those kicks, Trey Smack, um, he, and he's been great all year. You know, he had, he had the one bad miss against Arkansas that cost us the win, but you really would have, you really would have expected him to make at least one of those two that he missed been up eight at halftime, ideally up 11 at halftime. Maybe then it merits being a little more conservative, or maybe Napier feels a little more emboldened to go for the throat with a two score lead versus the one score lead. Maybe he just got a little nervous in that scenario, but regardless, you got to make those kicks. And and then there was the big punt return that you referenced a minute ago too. That, that can't happen. Um, that, that just can't happen. So um, F a pretty, a pretty bad F. But it's not going to be as, as low as the coaching F because coaching, you get a zero. You could not possibly have coached a worse game, Billy Napier. You could not possibly have done anything dumber on that on that first play call after ETN after the safety. And then ETN returns that that free kick down into their territory. All you have to do is just go forward. All you have to do is not go backwards and tell your awful offensive line that it has to do something which it's already incapable of doing for three seconds tell them that they have to do that thing for nine seconds blows up the play it's dead the drive is shot Florida scores three more points the rest of the entire game it completely and wholly shifted the momentum in a bad way and it cost Florida the game it could have and should have been 19, nothing at that point. Instead, Florida would go on to just not play the same type of football and they would lose the game overall grade. Um, I'm going to give it a, the 33, 34 type of grade, um, you know, mid thirties, you did some things well, but the missed field goals really hurt the offense, you know, limitations were there, but you should have done more with the ball when you had the chance to and coaching um, again, it, it could not possibly have been any worse. So, those are my grades. Uh Chris, wrap
0: it up. Well, guys, my grades are going to be pretty similar to yours tonight. I'm going to lead off with the offense and yes, I'm going to give them an F. I agree with Dustin. I'm not going to give them that F. It's not the worst maybe I've seen. It's pretty bad, but I can't say then like the my Rolodex of offensive performances in my recent memory or in the last 20 years, it's the worst one. So I'm going to give them of like probably as close to a 0 as you can get but not quite that F. Defense, they played really well. Uh, I'll give them a B. I think that was one of their better performances. They played good enough to give us the win. And I, and that's really what we asked for. We've been asking for out of this defense all season long and especially in this five game losing streak stretch. If we had if they had given us this performance against Arkansas, we're going bowling right now. So I'll give them credit for that. I think they played very well. It would have been great to get that timely turnover. I felt like we could have had it. I mean, the safety is kind of like a turnover in that situation, but of course we, you know, pissed that away. But – The defense, if they would have gotten maybe that timely turnover, that strip sack fumble, that interception, that could have been the difference in the game. They just didn't quite get that. And, you know, they let the dam break at the end. Like y'all said, we were outscored 10-0 in the fourth quarter, and that was the game right there. Uh, Benson, Trey Benson, really just shredded us in the second half. He started with two yards in the first half, finished with 95 total. So they started running the ball more efficiently toward the end, and that was why Florida State was able to break the dam. Special teams. I'm gonna go D minus. It was almost a fail, but I mean it was pretty darn bad. The the two missed field goals in the game, the strategy offensively could have been very different. Even if the trick play happens, you make those two field goals. You're at 21 there. So at the end of the game, you're theoretically tied or going for the win in that situation. I think the strategy on both sides is very different. Have we made those two field goals? One of them was a chip shot, and it's a shame that I think. Timely kicking has not been great for Trace Mack this year. He had a fantastic performance against South Carolina, and then he had the miss against Arkansas, which is right now why we're not going bowling. And then, of course, these two misses against Florida State could have been a little bit of a different story in that game had he made those kicks. So hope he will be coming back next year. I expect him to make another jump to get more toward that Ed McPherson, Jeff Chandler, Caleb Sturgis, that long line of good kickers at Florida. I think he's on that trajectory. He just needs another offseason to work on his craft and his, his efficiency and accuracy. And then coaching, they get that F. Coaching once again lost us this game. They've lost us several games this year, and it's becoming an unfortunate theme, which we're going to talk about now here, going into the second half of this show, is that the coaching staff is letting these players down in key situations, and the the, the ill timed, you know, aggression at some cases, and way too conservative in others. You know, we didn't even to bring this up tonight, but let's think back to when the game was seven to nothing. It was fourth and one from the 17 yard line, and we opt to kick a field goal after you just missed a field goal on two possessions before. I mean, fourth and one, guys. You, you know, you got a you got a fairly big quarterback. You've got a running back who's been running the ball fairly well. We can't get one yard, extend the drive, and then hopefully get a touchdown, go up 14 nothing. Imagine the momentum then versus 14 nothing is so different than 10 nothing, especially in a game like this. That, that's in a game where we decide to be conservative, and then later when we're up 12-0 and we're, we've got them on the ropes, we decide to be overly aggressive. That just, It just is another example where Coach Napier and his staff do not have a good feel for the game of when to take their chances. The greats know it, and the ones that don't make it long in the profession or as head coaches at this level, they don't. And that's a concern that I have for Napier going into next
1: Is He just doesn't have a great feel for the game. Quick, uh, quickly got to point this out. The offensive line was terrible. So I do understand that particular decision to not try to push forward for three feet. But before we move off this game, because I know that we have a lot more to talk about, we have to set aside just a minute to address this. We, we got to address this. Jamari Lyons that might be the most disgusting penalty I've ever seen called on Florida. Like there was, a, there was an instance in 2014 where Gerald Willis just takes a punch at Jameis Winston, obviously Marco Wilson with the shoe throw. That was just the, the dumbest penalty, but this might be the most disgusting penalty I've ever seen at, at Florida. Certainly if there was another one, I'm not remembering it or maybe I wasn't alive for it, but that's gross. And if you're talking culture and you want to talk about building a program the right way, Chris, Dustin, like this to me is a real debate as to whether or not you have him back on the team next year.
0: That that that's on un, that's unacceptable. It's an unacceptable penalty to have. You should never. I don't care how heated you get in the heat of a moment, spitting at an opponent one is disgusting to do, but two, it, it's incredibly unsportsmanlike and undisciplined. And you know, the trade of good teams are they are disciplined, and I you know I can't think of a situation where I'm watching a Georgia game or an Alabama game or a Michigan or an Ohio state or any team in the country that has consistently be good the last 10 years where that crap happens. It never happens. It's, and it's dealt with immediately. You go back to the Florida Georgia game and I was reading this today where apparently there was a, there was, I, I can't quite remember when it happened in that game, but there was an unsportsmanlike penalty on Georgia and Kirby smart made it a point to actually call it out to the reporter as Georgia's up 26-7. So that goes to show how unaccept- how that is just unacceptable in that program, whereas in our program, that just it goes unfettered. And it's happened over and over again where Florida has had undisciplined nature to them, and that's why they're not at the elite of college football anymore. Back when Urban Meyer was here, that did not happen. And when off-the-field stuff happened, it was dealt with in kind, and some of those guys didn't return. So, and, and unfortunately that was the downfall of Urban Meyer for many people remember is the, uh, how undisciplined the program became on and off the field. So you're right, Neil, it, it was a disgusting thing. It's, it's unacceptable. And Jamari Lyons, who, by the way, has played very well, actually uh, this year, I think he's, he's come up as a, as a contributor on that defensive line. Somebody, if he's, re- I think if he's remorseful, I wouldn't kick him off the team for this personally. I think if he's remorseful and he does, things in the off season to show that he can be a better example and a leader for guys coming in the program, because he's actually going to be one of the older guys in the program next year. Then I think he's an asset to have. And this is a learning moment for a young man, because if we can remember the example of uh, what happened to Avery Atkins back in the day where he was booted from the team and urban talks about how that affected him greatly. And I think a lot of people, if, if you don't know the story, Google it. Uh, I, I don't want to get too into it. It's, it's kind of an emotional thing for talking about Avery Atkins, but go back and think, look at that. This is a situation where he made a mistake in a game, and he needs to atone for it. But I don't. I would not kick him off the team. I wouldn't go as far to say that.
1: I mean, I don't. I don't. I wouldn't personally either. But I also wouldn't be devastated if you did because, the, dude, undisciplined play has been a staple of florida football but that's All year that, long.
0: but that has to be reflected though from the coaching staff down it's an sure. attitude reflects leadership sure Your coaching Agreed. staff is the leaders of this of the organization of the team so i know for a fact just knowing billy and who he is probably thinks that's abhorrent how he deals
1: with that though is going to be telling of whether or not it continues in the program I'm with you on that my my bottom line is I need to see something done because of it I don't I'm not saying what it is I'm not the head coach of the program I'm not telling Billy how to do his job in this particular aspect I will tell him he needs an offensive coordinator but I think that's pretty common among fans but I'm not telling him how to how to handle this particular situation but. As you said, Ohio State, Michigan, Texas, Oklahoma, Alabama, Georgia, Clemson, you don't see that from them. And on the rare occasions where you do, it's dealt with and it doesn't happen again. So in this case, it was just a symptom of a larger problem. Did that one penalty cost Florida the game? No, but it certainly didn't help. And as we saw three years ago with Marco Wilson, it can, it certainly could have if the game played itself out in a way where it comes down to one possession and maybe FSU would have punted on that possession. Maybe if the spit happens after a third and 24 stop, it it could have emotions could have gotten to a point where he spits on his opponent after he makes a tackle on a third and 50, it could have, he was emotional enough to do it after a second and 12, he could have done out on third and 50. So again, I'm not saying he has to be kicked off the team, but by all means, this has got to be stopped because whether it's spitting on an opponent, whether it's throwing someone out of bounds or they're already five feet beyond the white chalk, it's a pattern that Florida players do things to hurt themselves and it's got to stop.
2: Yeah, it's unacceptable. And I think it's very possible that Jamari Lyons is one of the guys that transfers in this offseason. season. Now, if this happened at a different point in the season with an opportunity to redeem himself, I think he may have had that opportunity, but I think for one reason or another, he's probably going to be one of the guys that is asked to kind of step aside.
0: I'm going to push back on that. I really hope not. I I think I'm going to, I'm going to hammer this home is that I think you have to correct it. Like, you have to, as a coach, be a leader of young men. Understand that young men, 18 to 22-year-olds, are going to make mistakes. I think that Jamari Lyons can be a contributor to this team, and he made an egregious mistake in the offseason. Let's think about Marco Wilson for a second. Marco Wilson threw the shoe. Years later, he still doesn't regret the decision. The only regret he has is he didn't throw the shoe farther. Okay, Clearly a guy that doesn't give a damn about Florida or the logo. If Jamari Lyons says, you know what? I messed up. I made a mistake. I'm going to pay for it this offseason. I'm going to work my butt off, and I'm going to be a major contributor as we try to bring Florida football back to the standard that it should be, that's a great story. And I think that's what we should be rooting for. That's what we should be encouraging. And we need guys like Jamari Lyons in the program. I mean, he was a contributor on this team. We need guys to come back next year and contribute and improve. So I'm not saying, Dustin, you're not – right or wrong one or another i'm just saying i think we should be encouraging a better character arc of the story and i don't think it's something that's so egregious where he should be booted from the team i think there's only a couple of things where it's like non no question you should be booted from a team obviously what Jalen kitna did last year gone you hit a woman gone you commit a felony. your coach you, well, your coach depends what's going on in the locker room (laughs) gray area on
1: that one i don't know about it depends who the player is too right yeah (laughs) Um, you you knew what i was alluding to
0: there too i I did well you know and uh, i think if anybody also saw the other night uh trey wilson uh kind of slapping out at i think it was david decker um to get back onto the field last night Uh, some of those jokes kind of came back again but i mean I think in that situation it was heated moment. He was pa- He was just passionate. Like he just wanted to play in the game. But to put a bow on it and just I guess to go back and put my final grade on the team because that's where we were at. Uh, I would say I'm with. I, I think that this isn't the worst performance of the year, but it's bottom third for sure. And I would put it right around thirty three, thirty four percent where
1: Neil is. I I I agree with Neil. It's right around in that ballpark. So. Well, guys, one more one more really quick thought. I do agree with Chris that there has to be growth. There has to be the ability for a character arc and redemption. And that is something that not just Jamari Lyons, because he spat at an opponent, but the entire team can draw some motivation from even even you, you talk about hitting a woman. Chris, Avery Atkins got kicked off the team for that urban meyer regrets that so that implies that there was the opportunity to reform him to have him grow and become a better person for that redemption i believe in most cases in almost all cases is possible but now and this is the perfect segue into the rest of the conversation tonight chris we like billy napier we all do we want to see him succeed at florida nothing to this point is irredeemable we are very irritated with the things he has done on the field and to some degree off the field but it's not over we're not calling for his head we're not saying you're screwed we're not saying this is destined to end in failure there is the opportunity for redemption for growth to overcome the issues that you have been responsible for this to this point the failures you've been responsible for to this point but here is the theme We're going to talk about it in the context of, of retroactively, sadly, but Avery Atkins, we can talk about it in the context of Jamari Lyons, and we can talk about it in the case of Billy Napier and the Florida program as a whole. Yes, redemption is possible, and we're rooting for it, but there's a lot of hard, difficult work that has to go into the story that is not necessarily the sexiest part of it, but that has to be done for this redemption, for this success born out of failure to be possible. So Jamari Lyons, let's see you, let's see you come back. You're going to have to do a lot of hard work between now and then. It's probably not going to be very fun for you. But there is a path back. Billy Napier, you're going to have a lot of difficult decisions to make starting literally right now, today, this second. But there is a path for you to be successful at Florida. Chris, with that segue in place, I hand it back to you. Well, yep. And I think that puts a bow
0: on the 2023 season. Guys, when we came into the season, we were hoping, I think for a seven win year, that would have been acceptable because we knew that the recruiting was certainly on its way up to this point. It has held serve as a top five class at the time of this recording. We hope that we could at least finish in that area Going into next year, that would be a huge boost for Napier in his future. But missing a bowl game—that's a regression from last year. Last year we finished six and six. We did make a bowl game. It's a regression from the Dan Mullen area. We fired Dan Mullen. We moved on from Dan Mullen. Uh, All of Billy Napier's predecessors made bowl games. You know, I mean, obviously Jim McElwain missed one in his final year. The team had quit at that point. Uh, Will Muschamp missed a bowl game in 2013, but. We had 22 injuries at that, for that team. That I think the injuries were more to blame for the for the lack of playing in a bowl game at that point. So this is uncharted territory for for Florida. Three consecutive losing seasons for the first time since the 1940s. It's not good, guys. It's not good. And we going into the year are the model. Dustin, I know it had projected about six wins, maybe seven. It's Florida, the Vegas.
2: Yeah, I'm going back to it right now, actually. So the, the model at the beginning of the season projected the Gators to go six point five, which is effectively seven. Um, and then five point four losses, which is effectively five. So seven and five, six and six.
0: Yeah. And we fell one to two games short of that. And look, Trey Smack makes a field goal versus Arkansas. Florida stops a fourth and seventeen versus Missouri. We're a seven-win team going into Florida State. Graham Mertz doesn't get injured against Missouri. Maybe Florida State is a different game, too. But shoulda, coulda, woulda, the fact of the matter is, as Neil has said time and time again, good teams find ways to win games. Bad teams find ways to lose games. Florida's five and seven. They have lost the majority of their games. They They are a bad team. They're a bad team. They're a worse team in some respects than last year. If you dig deep into the statistics and the advanced analytics, it would actually say otherwise some of Florida's success rates um, defensively and offensively are actually better. So guys let's talk about the recap of the season really quick. I want to get your thoughts just overall where you think we are at the state of the program three months later, when we did a show with the high top guys uh, a lot of us were positive. We had a lot of, we said there was positive momentum in
1: the program three months later, Neil, what is the state of the Florida football program? I'd say nothing has changed. We're exactly where we were three months ago. Billy Napier is a good off-field CEO. He is a terrible in-game Saturday game uh, or on-field game-calling coach. Awful the uh, uh, Shelton raised his eyes. His eyes almost popped out of his head when I said that. I said I want to give Billy Napier two different grades as an on-field CEO and an off-field CEO. I gave him an, an A as an off-field CEO. I said he's a C as an on-field coach. That might have been generous. I think his play calling somehow – got worse now granted he does not have a top five nfl draft pick to mask some of his in-game coaching deficiencies nor does he have a first team all-american on his offensive line and a second very good offensive lineman like an ethan white or michael tarquin to help mask those deficiencies but i would argue that nothing has changed he's still a bad in-game coach he's got some talent you know we, we saw Trey Wilson step into the offense. He made some plays. Justin Shorter out. Trey Wilson in. Obviously, you know, they're not the same exact type of receiver, but the idea still holds. They're they're talented. Get them the football. Let them make things happen. Trevor Etienne was back. Montrell Johnson was back. Ricky Pearsall was back. The defense, you can say it got a little bit better simply because you had some addition by subtraction. You can talk about guys like Brandon Cox. Yeah, they were talented, but did they really help matters? No, probably not. You still had guys like that on this defense. You had uh, especially Mr. What could I possibly have done here on the defense in the secondary just watching football? That's not going to help matters. You have another guy in the secondary and Jalen Kimber who's talented obviously was talented enough to get recruited by the university of Georgia and be on their team for a national championship season come to this program. So clearly there's talent, there's ability back there, but again, they just don't make the plays when they have to make them. They don't make plays. And again, as you just said, good teams find ways to win games, bad teams find ways to lose games, or as, I say, as I've been saying, and as you just parroted, and that is exactly what Florida was last year. In 2022, they found ways to lose games they probably should have won. Kentucky, you should have won that game last year, the one in the swamp. By the way, two years ago, you should have blown South Florida to kingdom come. You never should have lost to Vanderbilt. And if we're being real, you probably should have beaten FSU on the road. Bad play calling again in that game cost Florida on the road there. So again, they're finding ways to lose games they should win. Really, if you, if you go game by game in the schedule, it's almost exactly the same, too. You have one big win, right, early in the year, Utah his first year, Tennessee this year, under the lights, ESPN, the big-time ESPN crew is there calling it. You feel good about yourself in September. There's one. T- Terrible loss. It was Vanderbilt his first year. It was Arkansas this year. Kentucky humbles you and slaps you upside the head in both years. You have a very underwhelming performance against a bad opponent from the lower level of Division I, South Florida your first year. You probably really could have lost that game. That could have gone either way had they been able to execute a simple snap, hold, and kick on the last-second field goal. And then Charlotte this year – you win by 15 points, but there's a lot to be desired. You clearly did not play up to your ability in that game. So really, the seasons mirror each other. It's just the difference of winning one game, which, by the way, works in your favor more in the past because you got worse from 2022 to 2023. You go from six and six to five and seven. Chris, we've stagnated, and it all goes back to what I talked about a couple of weeks ago and have been talking about really all, all season long. Billy, you had your chance to make these moves that could better your program in the offseason between 2022 and 2023. You should have seen, you had enough evidence that this two offensive line coach approach in lieu of a special teams coordinator – No, it's hurting your program. Jason Marshall fumbles the punt in the end zone. The the disaster against South Carolina on special teams, even though we won that game by 32 points, should have been enough to tell you you needed to make a move there. Your boneheaded play calls in games should have been enough to go, you know what, watching the film, I really probably shouldn't have done that. And now times that enough times that you need someone to call the plays for you. You should have noticed all these things after last year. You didn't do it. And all the same things that cost us last year came back to haunt us again. So, Chris, Dustin, here we are again. Billy is in the exact same spot he was in three months ago, 12 months ago even. Let's see what he does different.
2: Yeah. Well, Neil, thank you for 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 what you said. I, I, I have two good takeaways from Billy Napier in this coaching staff and then two just abysmal. Should never ever happen under any circumstances for a Gator football head coach. Uh, takeaway or two takeaways. So, so number one, Graham Mertz, outstanding quarterback to have a completion percentage in the SEC above seventy percent. I know we don't throw it down the field a lot. That's understandable, but still, he's played. He played lights out. At quarterback for the Gators coming into the season, a lot of people were questioning the quarterback room. And that was a major reason why Vegas had picked Florida to go around five and seven, right? They were still right, unfortunately, but it was a completely different uh, prognostication than what actually happened. Graham Mertz was excellent. He was the reason why we want some of these big games. Unfortunately, he couldn't do everything. Unfortunately, Billy Napier found ways to be too conservative, to call the wrong play, to in-game break things apart that we're doing fine. For example, I mean, obviously we talked about it, but against FSU, that trick play, you can't do that. So yeah, Graham Mertz played great. On top of that, there are some young guys that rose up to the occasion. Now, I know as the season wore on, um, Castile had his ups and downs, but for being a freshman, he played outstanding. So, And what does that tell me? That tells me that that Billy Napier is hitting on the recruiting trail. Did we have the the best recruiting class last year? No, we didn't. But – the guys that we brought in last year were impact players. This recruiting class coming in, we have Derek Lagway coming in. When I, and, and I would love to hear, hear your thoughts, Chris, on him. I know you've been studying him a lot. But Derek Lagway is a generational talent. Anybody that turns on his tape, okay? 12-1 on a team that probably should have gone 7-5 and five without him, right? That just... Incredible job on the recruiting show, but 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 the negativity, the the defense hit or miss. At the beginning of the season, the defense played outstanding, but as the season wore on, things got worse and worse. And that's the problem. That's the big takeaway. Good coaches, the team gets better and better and better and better. But this team got worse and worse. You no, know, I, I think you want to chime in. It again.
1: It's just so mind-boggling, the stuff that, that Napier does in-game. It, it is – I say this with, with great care and caution because I really try hard to avoid hyperbole. But, I mean, the, the FSU game, that, that call, the double reverse, the flea flicker, was among the stupidest possible things he could have dreamed of doing. I said, like, sarcastically – at the end of one of my, my verbal rampages on this. You know what, Billy? You should have punted. You should have taken a knee in that situation. Just, just knee. Just take the snap, drop to a knee. Take a knee. and let it be second and 12. Obviously, that's ridiculous. But you know what? That would have been less detrimental than what you did. And it was so clear what was going to happen before you did it. The second that the ball was, was tossed to the side, and I saw the receiver coming in motion like he was going to take another like another pop pass in the jet sweep, I buried my head in my hands. I couldn't watch the play. I, I didn't even watch it. I heard the crowd groan, and I knew something bad had happened. And later I found out that, that Brown threw it away. I'm like, no, Billy, you didn't just do this. You did not. You really – you didn't really just call this play. How difficult is it to see that your offensive line, minus a healthy Kingsley, minus a healthy Austin Barber, is getting bodied? By FSU, How difficult is it for you to see that? It can't possibly require a PhD to see this. There were little kids in the stands around me that were befuddled by it at the time it happened. How stupid could you possibly be to order that play call in that situation? And again, I'm not anti-trick play at all. That's not at all all the source of my frustration. You want to do a Boise state hook and lateral like they did in the Fiesta bowl where you throw the ball 10 yards down the field and you have another receiver coming to just catch a lateral and maybe run and like an end around like 10 yards down the field. Sure. Fine. I can, I can respect that. Maybe I wouldn't have called it at that point. Maybe I would have, but I can respect that. I can respect things. I disagree with that play call. And again, Others like it. It doesn't exist in isolation. Billy Napier has a history of stupid play calls. But that just, this one just perfectly encapsulates all of it. Again, we, we're not talking conspiracies, okay? We, we don't go into that. But it was so stupid, that one play call, that, again, if Billy Napier were throwing the game, I don't know that you would have done anything different than what he did. Like, if you punt the ball, at least then you're playing field position. If you take a knee, at least then you're not having your quarterback get mauled by FSU's top five defensive line pick in the NFL draft of Jared Verse and all his cohorts. You're not going to have him almost get killed and have to go to your third string QB, which, by the way, was a real risk in that situation. And you're not going to have them lose 20 yards on that one play. So, yes, obviously, taking a knee would have been stupid. Punting the ball on first and 10 would have been brilliant. Yes, of course, it would have done less damage than what you did. And that's a theme. That's a theme.
0: It's a theme. Yeah, exactly. That's that's really what I was going to talk about. And
1: and sorry, Chris, one more thing. This is the part that really has me frustrated. Again, Napier can bring in this top five recruiting class. DJ Lagway can be the Tim Tebow. He can be the elite quarterback we've always dreamed of. If Napier keeps doing stupid shit like this, it's not going to matter. He's going to keep losing games. He's already done it. We have already have established a track record of losing games. We should win Arkansas, Vandy last year, Kentucky twice, almost South Florida last year. Like that's a real concern.
0: It is, and I, I think that it's a growing trend. Unfortunately, that is, it's 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 just who he is now. I think it's who he is, and that's kind of why I look at this season. In, I think we're ending the year in a worse place than we started it. Personally, I know Neil. You think that we're we're not in a different place. We're in the same. I think it's in the. Sa- I think it's in a worse position because. Now we have a head coach who many now are viewing as a lame duck coach going into 2024. I would say if you pull the majority of Gator Nation right now, the vast people, mass would say he is not going to make it past 2024. He's going to be fired. So then we're talking about the fact that he's going to likely have to make staff changes. He is trying to close on the recruiting trail. He's trying to convince transfer portals to come hey, in. Chris, Neil, uh, Dustin, hold on a second. And it's very difficult to sell a vision when you are viewed as a lame duck coach. Going into the football season, you had all the hope in the world that you would go seven wins, seven and five, you have a top five, top three class. People would view you a lot differently, that you improved by one to two games This year versus last year, you showed progress like Neil had been saying all year long. You have the recruiting class to show for it. And people then would be saying, okay, he's going to get more than four years at Florida. I'm going to go move my family across the country. I'm going to go work for Coach Napier. I'm going to go call plays. I'm going to go coach special teams. I'm going to go recruit for him. I'm going to go play for him. The argument now is much more difficult to make. convince somebody now money could change all of that money is you know is the root of all evil but it also can cure a lot of problems and in this situation maybe florida is able to pony up the money and bring in the best assistance and bring in the best recruits but it's going to be difficult to sell when you potentially are going to be packing your bags and moving across the country again in another year or if you're a player you want to go play for university for three to four years you potentially could lose your coach and be in the era of the transfer portal looking to transfer to a different place. So in my opinion, I think we're finishing the season in a much worse position in a weaker position. I think the state of the program is weak. Dustin, I know you had you wanted to kind of get in there and say something real quick.
2: Yeah, so my my last point of of negativity is the lack of accountability. Plain and simple, lack of accountability. And it makes no sense. Billy Napier has an army of staffers, an army of people, both on the field and off the field, that are there for this reason to correct these issues, to come into his office and say, hey, Billy, this is what's going on. This is what I see. We got to fix it. You have more than enough people to make these changes, to to. Make adjustments in the season. That's how teams get better. You have quality control personnel that have opportunities to communicate. That's how Kirby Smart is so successful. That's how Nick Saban is so successful because not only does he have good on this on the field staff members, but the quality control is there. And my concern is this structure that Billy Napier has put together. Heavy. It, it relies way too heavily on the offseason, and I sure darn hope that we make the changes necessary. I sure darn hope next year is better because there's no excuse. And look, Billy Napier, great guy, did an excellent job at Louisiana, but unfortunately, we're not the honchos in the SEC right now. Unfortunately, we're not the top recruiting team in the SEC. At Louisiana, it worked to have the most talented team in the league and blow people out and beat people because you're more talented. You're not going to do that in the sec, but here's the caveat. It's not just that we're failing against teams that are more talented than us. Florida is failing against teams that are less talented than us. Arkansas shouldn't even be on the same field as Florida. Kentucky shouldn't be in the same field as Florida. Missouri, I know they're improved. I know Drinkwitz is doing an outstanding job there, but they shouldn't be even on the same field as Florida when it comes to talent. But here we are, a coach that should be beating teams that were more talented them and, and we're losing. And what does that come back to? That comes back to accountability. Something has to change in that department. And, and to Neil's point, it starts today, right this second.
0: Yeah, well, it it needs to start today, but I think Dustin brings up a good point. Excuses for Napier. Excuses for Napier, and that is going to be the, the the topic of our next segment here as we now move from the season recap to next season is what excuses for Napier people continuously make and sort of a rebuttal for that. So we'll get into that segment here. All right, so excuses. The first, there's, there's a couple of common excuses that have been coming up on Twitter for Napier. We're going to go through them all, and we're going to say 30 seconds or less here. A rebuttal to that, or if we think it's a valid excuse. So, first one, he needs more talent. So, obviously, we all know that Billy Napier right now has a top five class, could finish there, or a little higher, or lower. We don't know yet. But, Neil, what do you think? Billy Napier, does he just need more talent?
1: He needs to learn to get the F out of his own way because when he already does have the talent advantage, he's still losing games. Arkansas this year, Vanderbilt last year, Kentucky each of the last two years, almost lost to South Florida. And we have pointed this out before, which is why I roll my eyes at this every time I see the excuse pop up. But because it is a common excuse, I feel like we may as well address it now. So that excuse would have a lot more validity to it if he was consistently beating the teams he should be consistently beating but he isn't. So there is a very valid reason to be very, very worried about the future, even if he does bring in that top five class. Dustin, do you think he needs more talent?
2: I, I have two quick thoughts on that. Number one, I think we do need talent in a very key area. And that's on the line of scrimmage, especially the offensive line. And then number two, we need more depth. And part of what we have to do this off season is we have to build more depth. We need more depth on the line of scrimmage, but think about the quarterback situation. How much more different would the quarterback room be if we had Derek Lagway on the bench awaiting uh, an injured Graham Mertz, God forbid, uh, rather than uh, Max Brown? Max Brown did great, but you know, upsetting Florida State may, may, may not have been in the cards for him.
0: Yeah, and that's a good observation. Definitely depth can go a long way. If you look at the depth of teams like Georgia, Alabama, the perennial powers now of the SEC, they all go two, three deep in their rosters. And that requires getting four and five stars stocked in there. So I would agree. He definitely needs more talent. But to Neil's point and to Dustin, the one that you made earlier, Napier's lost to teams that he is far more talented than now. So what is to make us believe that it's going to be any different when he uh, you know, amasses more. Now there is certainly some data out there that once you clear a certain elite threshold of tier one status and recruiting, the margin for error and those sort of variances and results does diminish. That is true, but he has to get out of his own way, like Neil mentioned. Otherwise, he's going to waste really good talent. We wasted a nearly a thousand yard receiver in Ricky Pearsall this year, and right now we've got at least one really elite running back, maybe a really solid one in Johnson and ETN. We're wasting those right now, and certainly we would not want to do that with Derek DJ Lagway coming in this coming year.
1: And and we already we already have wasted a literal brick owner. We wasted Osiris Torrance first All American season six. There you Sixth. go. And I mean, you know, I, I think there
0: are plenty of teams that aren't good that have all Americans or that don't win championships. That does happen. College football has 130 plus FBS teams. Not everyone's going to win a championship. Florida.
1: It shouldn't be Florida. Sure, fair. You expect the, from yeah. Kansas or fair. Syracuse or Illinois to fair have enough. a random all American guy, but not be very good that season. Florida expects to be good. I digress. I guess. That's okay. Larger. Well, on that, though,
0: Florida expects to be good. The excuse, though, is every rebuild is different. So the argument with this one is that Florida, the previous coaches inherited a lot more talent, better situations. Napier inherited a broken culture, as, Neil, you talked about at nauseam in your two-part piece on the InAllKindsWeather.com website, and not as much talent as some of the other coaches. So...
1: Every rebuild's different. Is this any
0: different for Billy Napier?
1: No rebuild that I've seen that's gone well has resulted in year two being worse than year one. Mike Norvell got better from year one to year two, three and six his first year, five and second, five and seven his second year, and they got better as the year went on in his second season. They started the year zero and four with a terrible loss to Jacksonville State. Damn near beat Florida in the swamp to go to a bowl game and finish six and six. They didn't, they finished five and seven, but they went five and three in their last eight Georgia ridiculous amounts of talent were already left there by Mark Ricks compared to what Dan Mullen left for Florida. I understand that argument very well. However, again, eight and five, their first year. Okay. So you can say, well, every rebuild is different. He had more talent. So that's why he went eight and five. And that's why Napier went six and seven his first year, but then they got better. From year one to year two, they were in the national championship game. If not for a second and 26, probably would have won another national championship. Um, And you could go around the country and say that even even Lincoln Riley, right at USC. Sure, they've gotten worse from year one to year two on their record, but they're still putting up a lot of yards. They're still in every game that they're playing. They're still regarded as one of the powerhouses in the sport. And they're not bowl ineligible this season. So I understand that there are going to be growing pains. I understand it's not easy to get better from year one to year two, but the program shouldn't be as bad as it was in year one and then get worse in year two. Those two things together should not happen. Dustin, yeah. what do you think?
2: Yeah, guys. So the the difference between Neil and I is Neil was upset during the game. He expected Florida to do something stupid. He expected Billy Napier to make a wrong call. And when he saw that happen before his his eyes, he was upset. He was irate in his words. For me, it was a little bit different. I was upset after the game. And it all comes down to a theory in psychology, and it's called expectation violation. What does that mean? When you expect something to happen and it doesn't happen, or it doesn't go the way you expect, you then respond to it in a in a way that may be averse different people respond to adversity in different ways but it's a type of adversity and for florida the expectation is to be on a championship level now of course you're not going to be on a championship level every year okay urban meyer when he came in yeah we had talent but what Urban Meyer needed to do is he needed to rebuild the culture. He needed to instill a winning culture. In that first season, we were nine and three. Okay. We, we beat Iowa in the Outback Bowl that year. But that following year, what happened? Year two, we got better. Okay. Now that was an overachieving team. That 2016 probably should have gone 10 and two and, and, and missed out on the Natty, but they got lucky. They, they, uh, they blocked a field goal against South Carolina, and the rest is history. Okay. They were an overachieving bunch, but what happened? There was improvement. The following year, they had a Heisman winner, and then in 2008, year four, arguably one of the best teams in college football history, with Tim Tebow at the helm as the starting quarterback. Okay, that's the ideal rebuild. Now, obviously, every rebuild is different, as we we see with this excuse. But look, it's not going to get any easier next year. That schedule is brutal for for. 2024. We'll, we'll we'll talk about it in another episode, but it's not going to be any easier. Six and seven and then five and seven is not the progression that we're looking for as Gator Nation. Now, let me just end this with saying that. Neil, Chris, I'm actually going to ask you a question. Do you think our expectations are wrong? No. Do you think we're no, experiencing expectation no, violation? No.
1: Entire should thought we, process should we, rejected. Should we
2: expect Seven and five, six and six, no. as the Florida Gators.
1: No, for a rebuilding year, yes, but ultimately, no. Entire thought process rejected. No, no, no. And
0: by Florida, the way, let me let me point Florida out is real a quick. a sleeping giant. Florida's a sleeping giant, and and the, that's it. You need to awake, You need to awake the giant. And the, I remember Paul Bear Bryant said that for so long in the seventies and eighties is that Florida is a sleeping giant. It's just going to take one coach to awaken it. And then in comes T Spurrier in 1990 and the rest is history, six sec titles, a national championship, a Heisman trophy winner. It then led into the two thousands. You hire a coach like urban Meyer and look, like you said, two years later, national championship, the same thing can happen at Florida today. If you hire the right coach, you hire the right guy to lead the program there you have all the resources at your fingertips to succeed at the University of Florida you have a now fantastic more than ever. you have a fantastic yes. state that everybody wants to move to you have the flagship university of the state you have the talent rich fertile recruiting grounds that are the state of Florida who wouldn't want to transfer and finish their college career at the University of Florida, have a degree here, a university that has put hundreds of men in the NFL. They do it every single year. They've done it even in years when they haven't been good. There is no excuse for Florida to take years and years for rebuild. And I know we've said it. I think this one may be, a little bit different in the sense that it's probably was always going to take more than two or three years to get to the elite level that we expect. And that is because I do think we were devoid of talent versus where Will Muschamp inherited it, where Urban Meyer inherited it from Ron Zook. Steve Sperger had a lot of talent when he came here in 1990. He talks about that, how he realized he was going to be able to win right away at Florida. It just took the right coach. I don't think he, Billy Napier had the talent, to compete with Georgia, clearly, to compete with LSU, to compete with Alabama, to compete with the best of the SEC. But he certainly had enough talent to compete with Arkansas, Vanderbilt, Utah, Kentucky, Kentucky, South Florida, South Florida, all these schools that we've either struggled to beat or didn't beat, we should be beating. And look, let's think about this, guys. If if Billy Napier beats Vanderbilt like he's supposed to last year, he's at least 7-5, and five, maybe 8-5 and five in year one. Totally acceptable in a year one rebuild. This year, he could have very well finished eight and four if he had beaten teams like Arkansas, Kentucky, a wounded Florida State team at home. Could have beaten Utah. Should have beaten Missouri. Could have beaten Utah if they just showed up and were prepared. I mean, we're talking eight, nine wins in year two. That's improvement. That's that's where it should have been. And that would have been acceptable going into next year where it's like, okay, the next jump is 10-11 wins. Now we're like, well, shoot, if he doesn't even win, nine wins can even survive. So I do think every rebuild is different, but at the University of Florida, rebuilds should progress in the upper trajectory by year two, and they are not.
1: Chris, what was it really that I was lies. saying all year long? What was I saying all year long you that just I
0: want to see progress? You don't Did need I to see a year six bowl. You don't need to see a Natty or an SEC or an Eastern Division title. You just need to see progress. Did that's I get that? Progress. We did not get that.
1: So it's it's quite understandable then that I'm very irritated why I sound maybe a little pissed at the fact that Florida is five and seven, not just sheer the fact that they're five and seven. It's because I asked for something that I thought was very simple and very fair to ask for, and I was denied that request. You sound, you sound like it was all been for you. I mean, obviously, I think well all of because Gator I would think in in it. this particular in this particular line of thought, I do speak for a lot of Florida fans. I don't like yes. to say that I speak for Gator Nation. We all wanted often, progress, but I think in this particular yes. thing, I do, we
2: and that's where wanted, the problem we lies. All wanted progress. That's where the problem lies. Progress. We solid coaches, solid staffs. Instill an overachieving nature in their team. The expectation is eight and four. So, darn heck, we're going to go 10 and two. The expectation is five and seven. So, darn heck, we're going to go seven and five. Whatever that expectation is, we're going to do better because we are better than what they think. And for us to not do that, it's abysmal. And here's the thing let me say this in all kinds of weather, okay? Chris, Neil, I know I know y'all are entrenched in it. And so I'm going to be a defender of not only this brand, but of you guys. People are like, oh, it's in all kinds of weather. Why are you guys being all this and being all that? It's because we care. It's because we care. The whole idea behind it, all kinds of weather is that when the going gets tough, the tough doesn't get going. Because we care and because we know our team is capable of doing better, we're going we're gonna to say something about it. Because you know what? We're, we don't have the luxury to jump ship. People made the comment, well, why aren't you a Georgia fan? Why aren't you an Alabama fan? Why aren't you an Ohio State fan? Because I care about my Gators. I'm not going to jump ship. Five and when- seven, well, we went we to school
0: here. We went to school here. We grew up Gator fans. That's exactly right, Dustin. Like, and I and I agree. I'm glad you mentioned that because I, we see a little bit of that, and you know, people calling out the Twitter account and calling out Neil. And and I'll say, like, it it is because we have an expectation that is just not being met right now in our football program. We've seen. In our lifetimes, we've won three national championships. We know it can be done. That is the expectation. We can get back to that. I'm not saying it has to happen every single year. That is unrealistic. But we should definitely be in contention every few years. And right now, we are nowhere in position to do that. And once again, goes back to the original question, every rebuild is different. Every rebuild is different. But at the University of Florida, it should progress toward us becoming contenders once again. The next excuse I do, and this is something I'm going to lead off with, is that he just needs more time. Somebody brought up a good point today, and they actually went back. The last coach to start with a losing record through two seasons and then to go on to win a national championship was Bobby Ross, Georgia Tech head football coach in 1990, back when they didn't have the BCS. Back when they crowned multiple champions a year, Bobby Ross went two and nine and three and eight, respectively. He actually progressed from year one to year two, but still losing record. Won a national championship by year four, going 11 0 and 1 at Georgia Tech. He actually didn't make it past year five at Georgia Tech, but that just goes to show it is very rare. You look at every single coach since that point to now who has won a national championship has had a winning record through year two. Many of those coaches won those national championships within the first two years. Many of those coaches had records that were, they amounted almost 20 wins, if not more in that period. The only real exception to that was Dabo Sweeney, who went 15 and 12 through two years. And it took him several years to win a national championship. But, I digress. If you go through the history of college football, and I went back, Bobby Bowden, Joe Paterno, even way before really the modern era of college football, they actually all had like major jumps in you from year one to year two. Both of those coaches losing records in their first year by their second year, double digit win totals. There is historical precedence in this sport that if you do not show major progression through year two, you aren't going to make it. There's only one, and that was Bobby Ross at Georgia Tech. So the uh, That right there is just – I don't know if you guys have anything more to add on the – it just takes time because clearly, historically in the sport, it doesn't.
1: Well, um I mean, maybe this is another one, Chris, but I feel like maybe we can just combine this one into it too. He's going to make moves this offseason. He's going to make some corrective actions that he frankly should have made last year, but you know what? He didn't. He didn't do it. That was his choice. Nobody locked him in a room and forced him to just say, yeah, Billy, you do you. You're going to do you. You're going to do this the way you want. No one did that. He chose to make the moves or the the non-moves that he made. He chose to take the inaction that he took. And now we just wasted another season of Gator football because of it. Billy Napier, again, I go back to this again and again. He... Has to have known. He had to have known that special teams was a liability. Hey, Billy, you gotta know that something wasn't right with that special teams unit last year. After doing everything under the sun, you could have possibly done wrong against South Carolina. But you know what? Nah, we won that game by 30 plus points. We're good. We won that game. So clearly it's not that important to have a good special teams. Very next week, special teams directly costs you the game against Vanderbilt. The play calling issues we saw last year happened throughout the year. Um, Again, there's just instance after instance of it. By the time the FSU game rolled around, when Florida had a skeleton crew of wide receivers, plus one good receiver in Ricky Pearsall, and Napier takes the ball away from his running backs and Montrell Johnson and Trevor Etienne, and he orders Richardson to start throwing the ball all all over the yard to the point where he throws three incompletions and kills a drive, FSU scores. He does the same damn thing again on the next drive. Florida, again, no points out of the drive, doesn't even give their defense a rest, punts the ball away, FSU scores again, and that just kills Florida in a game that they would lose by seven points. At that point, he... Had to have known he had to get an offensive coordinator. He, I, I, again, I, I am, I have no pity for this argument that, well, he's a new coach. He's just letting himself find his way. I have no sympathy for it. A good coach is proactive, not reactive, and does not make moves only when he's forced to in order to save his own job, like Dan Mullen firing Todd Grantham and John Hevesy when he did. You don't do it at that point. You do it well before the tumor has had a chance to spread throughout your entire program. Again, could Napier wind up being a successful coach? Yeah, he could, but he's a year behind schedule now, and that doesn't go away. We're not going to forget about that because, again, we have just pissed a whole season down the drain because of his stubbornness. And if you want to call it stupidity, I don't have any pushback on that particular label here either. Billy?
0: It's it's, I mean, listen, basically what you're saying, what I've said, what Dustin said, you're looking at a coach that has to defy historical precedents at the end of the day we are not saying that we're advocating for napier to get fired i don't i think we i speak for all of us here and saying we do not want napier fired but what we are saying is the trajectory that he's now put himself on through two years it's very difficult to think of a scenario where it doesn't end in that logical conclusion anymore based on historical precedents based on what he's done what he's shown us through two years in the data we could get a top five class this coming year. It, it, he still very well could be a lame duck going into year three. So it, I just think it, it, we have to just caution fans with it saying, you know what? Yes, he, he needs to make a lot of moves this off season, but he has to like basically bat a thousand going for he he's, he's left himself no room now for error. Like every, like think back to all the transfers that he's had out of the program. There have been a couple we wish he would have kept. Michael Tarquin, uh, Josh Braun, Ethan, both White. Started, Ethan White, all have started on other Power 5 teams. Antoine Powell-Ryland, who led Virginia Tech and sacks. Think about we could have used his pass rushing ability this year, especially when Justice Boone went down. Uh, yeah. Tyron Hopper. I mean, we've lost some good guys. Basically, this offseason, he needs guys that are not going to contribute at Florida to transfer out, and he has to make sure all of the major contributors stay. He has to hit on the majority of his recruiting the rest of the way. He has to close strong on national signing day, hit the majority of his targets out there. He has to hire one of the best play callers in the country. He has to hire a special teams coach. He has to find a coach to coach offensive line better than what he's had in his first years. And Oh, by the way, develop them to be ready to go this off season or this coming season. He has to bat a thousand. Like he has no margin for error anymore going forward into 2024 and that's in one part basically because of how difficult the schedule is and i know dustin does that's probably a final point maybe we'll we'll
1: bring up tonight i know you wanted to bring that up is that the schedule is going to be very difficult next year and you and if you think that we're negative now you think that it's just uh, i mean i know most people probably i feel like most people probably agree with us more or less most gator fans are on the same plane that we're on with gator football right now but if you're not if you think that we're overly negative You just sit and watch what happens if we lose on August 31st to the Miami Hurricanes. You just watch what happens next because things will turn and they will turn fast. Not from us, because again, we're already, I'm not going to say we're predicting a loss to Miami in that game, but we're already bracing for impact. We already accept the fact that that's a very logical possibility that we could lose that game and then. Dustin, I know this is your talking point you've been waiting on for a while. That schedule is not conducive to winning a lot of games. So you lose that game to Miami, you fail to stack those two wins at the start of the year against the Hurricanes and then against Sanford. Boy, oh boy, could things get ugly and they could get ugly quick. So, Dustin, I'll let you take the floor now and talk about their schedule the rest of the way. But just, just pointing that out there, this this thought process does not exist in isolation. And there will be a lot more people joining us in this line of thought if that first game goes badly against Miami.
2: Yeah, it's been said when it comes to coaching, you have a three-legged chair. Leg one is recruiting. Leg two is on the field coaching. And leg three is personnel, whether it's staff or your players. And Billy Napier has done a, a pretty good job with the the staff other than you obviously need to do offensive coordinator there's some changes need to take place recruiting is good obviously we spoke about the in-game stuff but here's the thing this offseason this i'm gonna make a bold statement here this offseason is the most important offseason for the florida gators in the last 15 years because if we get this right and we turn this around and there is a miracle next season and we win eight, nine, 10 games, which obviously looking at the schedule, if we win nine, 10 games, that'd be outstanding. Okay. I will, I will get up on top of the highest skyscraper in Orlando and scream at the top of my lungs, go Gators. If we win 10 games next year. Okay. But if it doesn't go to plan and Billy Napier doesn't get it done over this off season, it could set us back another five, 10 years because if he doesn't get it done, we probably will have a new coach and we're going to have to start all over. And it's yeah. unfortunate. Nobody because wants Billy Napier right now has all the tools that he needs to get it done. He just has to do it.
1: Nobody wants that, Dustin. Nobody, Chris. No- nobody wants it. That's the thing. Last point for me, real quick. Nobody here is rooting for Billy Napier to fail. We can go back to what I said like an hour ago. This is, God, already a long show. We'll go back to what I said about an hour ago, whether it's Avery Atkins and and hitting the woman or Jamari Lyons spitting at someone or Billy Napier effing up the situation by not doing anything last offseason. Until it isn't, pretty much anything is reversible. It's fixable. It's not done until it is. And it's not done right now. So Napier, you have time, you have a chance to write things and we are rooting for you to do so. But now the conversation shifts from, you really have to make these moves to you will make the moves or you will be fired. That's it, that's it, that's the plan. That's how it works at the University of Florida. You will succeed or you will get fired. There is a lot of historical data to back that statement up. Likeability is not a substitute for wins. You will win games or you will be looking for employment somewhere else. We are rooting for you to choose option A. We are rooting for you to win games here. But at this point, I mean, we can't can't want it enough. You either will or you won't. Indeed. So... We're going to have a lot more shows
0: ahead to talk about specifically what Napier's going to have to do this offseason. If you look ahead to next season, as we recap this season and as we gear up for National Signing Day, which is now less than a month away, a lot of news is going to be coming. So there is no better place to come for that news than right here at the In All Kinds Weather Forecast. So if you're watching here on YouTube, make sure to hit like down below. Hit subscribe. That way you're notified whenever new videos come out because there will be a lot of new content coming out over this next month. Just because the season is over doesn't mean we're done here at the In All Kinds of Weather Forecast. So make sure to leave your comment, what you think of the show tonight, and what your thoughts are on the season this far. And then if you're listening on the audio format, please rate and review the show. It helps bring all of Gator Nation great content. also want to shout out our merch store, at anallkindsweather.com slash merch. Neil is sporting the orange polo. It's Christmas time. It's time to buy uh, your friends and family some 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 gifts or Hanukkah, or whether, depending on what you celebrate this time of year. Good time to buy somebody uh, some good merch. And Neil's also got the uh, the good old cup there. So there's that is just two of the items that we have. As He now reaches for another one if you're watching on video format. So we got the hat. So there you go. Maybe it's like a, a little package, a polo, a hat, and a cup. Christmas, Hanukkah, whatever it is you celebrate this time of year, uh, go on inallkindsofweather.com slash merch. We'll leave a note in the comments down below where you can buy that stuff. But thank you all so much for tuning in to another episode of the In All Kinds of Weather forecast. Thank you for entrusting us this year as we have previewed and recapped now 12 games we are sad that this will be the last game of the season that we will be previewing we really hope that napier makes all the necessary changes next year so we could be previewing and recapping more than 12 games next season so from all of us here at the and weather forecast want to thank you all for your support go gators and we will see you very soon
1: in all kinds of weather we will all stick together for f-l-o-r-i-d-a i I think we're entitled to some sunny weather soon but as dustin said it doesn't mean we care any less so i'll leave you all with that but thank you guys again for listening and watching and and just consuming our content all year um truly means the world to us Is this has been something of a transition year for us but Um, We're going to keep taking steps to make the content as as awesome as it possibly can be. And we look forward to y'all being part of the journey with us. So again, from the bottom of my heart, Dustin and Chris, thank you guys all so much for coming on this journey with us. And we look forward to to reaching new heights together. So until next time, go Gators.